0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three of Stakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Stunned. Tyrese Halliburton was stunned. Malika, uh, the league is stunned at this trade. First ten for three. What a great Now he's going to steal. Cortez throws it Here's Turner, just back in. Gets his own board, going strong. Miles Turner from the
1: Raptors. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we start today, if you have not already. Please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. We always want to hear from you and get your feedback. You can do that over on Spotify as well. Um, I'm joined again, as always, but I, I really need to differentiate. I always say, as always, as if it's like the most obvious thing of all time. Um, joined by my good friend, co-host and colleague, Caitlin Cooper. Caitlin, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing well. Excited that we're finally back to do another draft pod.
1: Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you first before we even dive in, how do you feel about, uh you know, The the Dallas Mavericks just pushed it to Game 7 in the second round. Nate McMillan, obviously, you know, Eastern Conference Finals last year, playoffs again this year. Pacers at home. It's interesting.
2: I'll leave it at that. (laughs) It will be interesting, depending upon how that Game 7 goes. Timing up with the Pacers in the draft lottery.
1: 100%. Uh, We are joined by one of my favorite people, not just in basketball, but in life in general, a good friend of mine, PD Webb. PD, how are you doing today, man?
0: I'm doing well, um, uh, get to get to fulfill a uh, dream of mine today, which is talking draft with the two of you at the same time, something that I've been trying to make happen for like two years and have not successfully done it. So if this is what it took, if it, if it took, uh, you know, an unfortunate uh, in the season after uh, two coaching decisions, then uh, this is what it took and I'm having a great time. They were decisions.
1: That's a good way to put it. Um, We don't need to ascribe any value to them. They were decisions. Uh, Yes. So I guess the first place we can get started here, obviously, uh, we're talking about AJ Griffin today, somebody who you just wrote a really fantastic piece on about, you know, his shooting projection, um, which is, I mean, that's his largest sell as a prospect is what he does as a shooter. Um, I will have that linked down below because I think you should go read it. It is, fantastic uh if you want to you know just find a a random sentence about catching hands from from clownfish uh fantastic work as always um i guess i'll i'll turn this over to you for a quick second caitlin uh what is our format for people who haven't listened before um how are we getting down with this
2: right so basically if you haven't listened to the first two which if you haven't listened to the Jade ivy pod or the keegan murray pod i encourage you to go do that um our format's called stock up stock down and basically mark and i each pick a share of games that we're gonna watch and this week we've picked um the miami game texas tech and wake forest we watch those games and then we each pick one thing that we think makes us a little bit um potentially bearish about the player and one thing that we're a little bit more bullish about and then we bring on a draft expert which is today pd to tell us how bad or incorrect our takes are
1: (laughs) precisely um PD, I guess I'll turn this over to you as well. Um, Just because, you know, we need, uh, I I mean, like, you know, having background and knowing where you're coming out with things is really important coming into this. AJ has like a very wild background coming into, into the draft year, you know, just basketball wise. um, If you want to elaborate on that a little bit.
0: Yeah. um, AJ is uh, a, the hardest player to get a read on and one that I think uh if you talk to people who are you know um grassroots scouts or, or work in like the high school basketball industry, there's not a guarantee that they've seen AJ Griffin play before, um which is really unique for a player who's like you know a a you know a five star played on America's U 16 uh, national team. Um that's that's a pretty odd pathway. Um he won a state title in New York as a freshman um played with played with his brother, uh, also was on a seventh grade. He was a seventh grader playing varsity with his brother and Obi Toppin uh, at the same time, which is just a, a hilarious mixture of, of players, uh, was actually a, a solid contributor, um, was about the same size. Uh, AJ's been 6'6 for for the longest, plus six wingspan, um, played only four games of EYBL um, because he has a, on again, off again, knee and ankle injuries um, that, you know, because I, I think because his father, uh, uh, Raptors assistant, uh, Adrian Griffin um, has a longer view um, than was probably normal Any like sign or, or twinge or, or just like, you know, rest like load management, AJ wouldn't play. Um, so we if first we only have like 60 games for him, which is like pretty low. Um, I would say most players who have his background were between like 80 or 90. And uh, so when coming into this year um there were concerns about how much aj would play what role would be best for him and you know similar to basically every other kid who played basketball in new york he lost a full season to uh to like the covid shutdown so he basically didn't have a senior or he did not full stop have a senior year of high school basketball so not just as are there injuries not just are there uh, the, the last year of COVID, but it's also, like, this is a player who didn't really play AU for extended parts. Like, it's a pretty wild background for a kid who also, like, every time he showed up, like, just ball out. But like, America U16s, killed. She played four games of BYBL and posted numbers that were uh, extraordinarily Michael Porter Jr-ish, and that was the only time he played, just, like, one weekend. Uh, pretty wild.
1: Yeah, I think what makes it even more wild, too, is how things started at Duke. Like, obviously, he just didn't play the first couple of games, like just small amounts of minutes was coming off the bench for a while. Um, and then, you, uh, you know, seeing how he develops late stage and just comes on and, and ends up as a starter for a team that ends up going to the national championship game. Uh, like a very big difference. Like it's a lot to take in, you know, just how much things went throughout this season. Um, I guess, you know, first thing that I, I want, <clears throat> excuse me, first thing I want to get into Caitlin, uh, where, you know, just coming in, what is your first impression watching AJ for the first time?
2: Well, why don't we just go straight to my stock up? Cause I that's think that's going to summarize it. Yeah. Okay. So I admit that I purposely did not read PD's piece headed into okay. this because I wanted to go in blind and hear what his opinion was, but this is going to sound very probably basic with what I picked, but I just picked elite shot making. Mm-hmm. So they're playing the Miami game. I know you shared a clip from this, so.
1: Oh, it's not. Don't worry. It's not the one I'm using. I debated it, but yeah, it won't be up there.
2: So, yeah. So basically, Trevor Keels has the ball and is driving the defense down. And I think something that shows up a lot about AJ when he plays is how good he is at finding the open spot on the arc. This isn't a person that's just going to stand there, stand still. You can use him on shake cuts. You can use him to spring open to the wing. But in this case, he's drifting to the corner as Keels is driving the defense down. The pass is not on target, and he has to reach outside of his shooting pocket to get it, and then goes uphill, stepping back to his left, and makes the shot. Like That is not an overly complicated play, but it is a professional play. Like If you're able to take a one-dribble-three and go against the grain in the opposite direction, to me, that's elite-level shot-making in addition to some of the stuff he did inside um, the arc. So I'm sure that both of you have a lot of thoughts about his three-point shooting.
1: Yeah. It's funny because you and I are very much in the same boat on this. I'm like, not that it's saying shooting is overrated is unfair, but I think sometimes you have to like really take into account like versatility, variety. Um, It's so much more than just what the percentage is. And I think AJ is an amazing look at that because like, obviously the percentage is is fucking insane. Like he shot almost 45% at Duke and that almost, it feels like it undersells it. Like I watch him take shots and I have no idea how it misses sometimes because of how, difficultly easy things look for him if that makes sense like everything is hard but he does it in a way where it's like yeah he's done this a thousand times we'll do it a thousand times more um like there's a possession in the tech game where just like like you mentioned it's just like small little things like um sometimes i can watch him be like why did you dribble there but then it he takes a shot I'm like oh okay i get it now like uh he's just in the corner uh it's Wait, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, he lifts to to free up Paolo, who is driving to the middle. Texas Tech collapses. He gets the ball on the wing. Terrence Shannon Jr. comes flying out on one of the crazy Tech closeouts, as always. Um, and he just takes a quick jab step to his right, like a, a small minute thing, but it totally freezes up Shannon on the on on, on the recovery and he gets a wide open shot out of it. Like it sounds like a simple thing. Like I feel like a lot of people be like, "Just take the shot ASAP." But like he does all of these little minute things that are like. Even if he's, uh, and we'll talk more about advantage creation, what he's doing, you know, as a, when he does get opportunities as like more of a primary, but like he does so much stuff to create space for himself when he's playing in a phone booth all the time already. That's just like, it's incredible stuff. Like his footwork is my, my clip will be on his footwork, but yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. I
2: mean, yeah. I, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was gonna say finding the windows is definitely a skill. Like he's gonna get into the guy's eye line and find it. In addition to that, but can I throw a number at you? Yeah. That this past season, twenty six NBA teams took one dribble threes as at least three percent of their overall shot diet. When the Golden State Warriors won it all in 2015, how many teams do you think did that?
1: Ooh, a lot less. <laughs> that's my that's my best. Uh, that's my best answer. Zero. So, oh, like wow. being
2: able to being able to take that little jab step or have that one dribble or a closeout close out or create space in that type of a way is definitely a more bankable skill. There's 18 players who attempted at least one one dribble three per game, and the only pacer who did that was Buddy Healed. And he shot 31% on those looks. So I mean it, it is becoming a more important skill at the NBA level.
0: I'm fascinated in how you how like you experienced. AJ, like, like, because watching him is kind of strange. Like if you explain what his deal is, it doesn't, he doesn't play like a person who like has his deal, if that makes sense. Like it's, it's not like when usually it's like, Oh, it's a, you know, it's a wing shooter who like feels like he doesn't miss who's super shot versatile um, and is built like an ox. Like the idea of that player and the dude who shows up on film are like really different. Um, and it's not in a way that like, is really easy to explain. Like, what was it like watching AJ Griffin as a shooter for the first time?
1: Yeah. Um, I will be completely honest. I'm not like the greatest understander of shot mechanics. Most of the stuff I've learned is from you and, and your awesome pieces. Um, but like in watching him, like kind of like I hit on a little bit earlier, uh, the first game I watched this year, I think it was South Carolina state, which was like the first game where he got real run this year. I'm going back and watching and, at first, I was kind of like, I don't really see it yet. Like, I don't really get it because uh, I'd never seen him play UIBL or, or AAU. And and then he just, like, he gets the ball and just, like, rips off like a six com- a, a, like a six dribble combo with, like, behind the back and, you know, throws in a hezzy and a stutter and then goes into just this monster step back. I'm like, oh, oh, that's what he's doing. And it's like, you know, that kind of thing where it's just, like, more eye-opening. Um, and it feels like so many of the things that he does – when he does get the ball, it's like, like again, like uh, one of the clips that I'll use, I won't explain it right now because it's, it's part of my stock up, but like um, even if it's not quote unquote, like anything that's getting him, you know, standstill creation downhill towards the rim, like it's still really impressive stuff.
2: I actually have a question because I, I looked for film of him in high school and I was never getting an angle that I needed to see to compare and, contrast and- was his stance this wide when he was in high school or is this an adjustment that duke made to potentially like relieve pressure on his knee
0: so i think it's two factors it was not it was always wide but it wasn't this wide um i can send you there's his full the the best film i would say is his uh end of sophomore year uh uh high school tournament um uh where he plays uh i think the, it's like the most uh, I think same famous one is the game versus Uchissi Se, where like Uchissi team switches, so he's shooting over a seven footer for like a lot of it off the dribble, um, including a, a somewhat famous wrong way step back three from like a step behind the volleyball line. Um, so he used to be more arms, and I think that the the wider stance is in part to like more to to put more legs in it, but also to like me- overemphasize the landing mechanics and put like less stress on his on his legs so i think that's trying to emphasize the legs in the jumper and also de-emphasize the legs on the landing
2: yeah that's what i wondered because i I kept looking for clips and the most of the highlight packages i was seeing on youtube you could never actually see him in the stance before he let go of the ball so i just wondered if Duke, i mean clearly it worked the shots went in so yeah um,
0: i'll send it to you um when when we get out the he takes a lot of jumpers and you'll be able to see it pretty quickly um so like one of the things that the comparison that I made when I like first saw him was like, did you guys watch like Hanna-Barbera cartoons as kids? Like, like Tom and Jerry or. or oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so like, you know how there's, there's a type of sketch where like a character starts sleepwalking. Yeah. And then like the, it keeps looking like they're going to fall into like, you know, a sewer or oncoming traffic and like the world conspires to just like make it smooth. And they all, the, you know, the, the thing always ends with them like getting back into their bed cleanly, but like they've gone through an ordeal that they just don't know. And so many times with AJ, like he does things that I don't understand why, like the Miami clip um, uh, in the ACC tournament semifinal. Like he catches it outside his frame, takes like three or four unnecessary dribbles. There's a lane, doesn't take it, goes between the legs and sidesteps to pull. Like there were three or four available windows, but he got a shot that he ended up being like in the 95th percentile for all college players. And it's sort of one of those things of like, this is, there's a grace to this that like doesn't really make sense, but also like the decision making process feels, I don't want to say bad, but something that I don't fully understand in the same way that like, you know, like Pepe Le Pew or whatever would be sleepwalking and taking these like right hand turns or so left hand turns. Like, I don't understand the mechanics of why, you know, a, a person can turn while, uh, while sleepwalking, but this kid just keeps finding these shooting pockets. They're never the ones I expect. They're never the ones I think that you would like sort of ideally want um as a coach like you're not you don't draw these plays up to, for him to you know catch four dribble combo pull uh, with negative momentum it's catch and shoot or catch and one dribble and pull but it, no matter what style of jumper he takes it feels like it's an elite shot but the process of getting to an elite shot never feels as good and I think that's the distance that a lot of people have is that like it's somewhat distasteful is not really the word but like it's strange or like not uh it's not scripted in the way that I think we're used to seeing with elite shooters. Like with Buddy healed in college, it felt like an elite shooter. His process was like, "This is exactly the shots you want an elite shooter to take. This is exactly how an elite shooter you generally like experience them." Is like, "Yeah, I'm gonna catch. I'm gonna take one dribble. It doesn't matter how deep it is. Doesn't matter if my footwork is. I'm going to get it up. We're gonna we go." AJ doesn't feel like that at all, and I think that that's where a lot of the disconnect is. Is that like there's just sort of a there is a uniqueness of how he gets two shots that makes people uncomfortable because there's not really one of these before.
2: Yeah.
1: It's really interesting. Cause that's what, one of the things I've been trying to toy with and understand is like, which you can saying, saying ball holding is the wrong way to put it, but is it kind of like ball stopping to you or like, do you ever view it that way? Cause I don't like it, at least going back through and watching like, Um, to me it just feels so much more like somebody who's just throwing a million jabs. Like it's watching like Zab Judah. Like he's just like, I mean, throwing a ton of wonky shots that it's hard to script. Like you mentioned, like, but it just kind of works. Like, I I don't know. Is that a good way to put it?
0: It it doesn't feel like, like, so I'd say there's an idea that, um, that has come about in the last like three or four years is players that are overtrained. So ones that, Work out one on zero a bunch, and just will do moves. So you can see them not responding to the stimuli. The defense not interesting, not responding to a situation. They're just doing a portable combo they did either with the coach or a trainer and one on zeros. Um, if you watch BJ Boston at Kentucky, like this is probably like the most clear example where it's just like you can see he just is going into a move series. Mm-hmm. If the second move works perfectly, he's still going to do the same third move regardless of whether it works perfectly or not. This is just the series, and AJ never feels like that. Like it doesn't yeah. feel like he's doing a move combo like the miami move isn't like that's not what you would do because there are four moves that kind of didn't go anywhere so it just feels like he's sort of biding time to get to the shot that he wants versus like it it feels more patient than impotent or or you know uh, just irresponsible it just feels like there is a different way of processing the game than players who are overtrained or players who are just spamming moves for move's sake
1: yeah i think that's a that's a really great way to put it because like so my stock up right here um, is from the Wake Forest game. Uh, I cannot remember who's defenders. I'm looking right now, but I didn't watch Wake Forest the whole time this year. Um, but, like, sizes his man up with about 16 seconds left on the shot clock. He's in the, the left slot, um, pounds to his right, goes to his left on a crossover, goes in between the legs, um, freezes with the quick starter, gets his man with his foot going the wrong way, and then drives through. And I think you see, like, there's nail help that comes from the strong side. He's able to get through it, which is one of the things I was uh, uh, saying impressed by. I might be the wrong way, but I feel like he actually handles tight spaces pretty well right now. Like, obviously, his handle is very good for his size and where he's at. Um, and then he just comes up with a, a, an underneath scoop finish because there's no rim protection given where, where they're playing. Um, and I watched that, and I was like, you know, that was like like you're talking about, where the first couple moves don't really do anything, but then you see him get to that, that stutter. And it's like, oh, okay this is what you were going for. Like, this is, it. it there's obviously, there's like a flow and a rhythm to what he's doing where like, it's very clear, like, okay, he's using the first two or three things to set up the fourth thing he's going to do. And I think like, again, like I think some people look at me like, well, he just drained four seconds off the shot clock holding the ball. I'm like, yeah, but like, look what he did. Um, it's definitely like a different way of of how things go. But I thought like, A, I mean, it's a stock up for me because there's just not really anybody on the Pacers right now that's doing it. And it's less about, you know him getting to the rim because that's something we'll bring up but like it's more like a you see the strength you see the handle and the fluidity um and there just isn't really anybody on the team who has that right now on top of the shot making so to me that that was that was my stock up
2: I feel like that clip gets brought up a lot when people are talking about like the glimmers that he showed in that area, because they were so few and far between. Like when you look at it and I understand from Duke's perspective, like when you have a guy who's shooting 44% from three, Mm. he did get pigeonholed a bit as just being a floor spacer who, like I said, is going to find passing windows around the other players on the floor. So that was kind of a moment along with this little sequence against Miami where, you know, Miami runs that trapping scheme. So Coach K did let he and Bancaro do a little bit more in isolation in that game where you're going to see him like out in transition and he's kind of lulling his defender to sleep to get to a three more so than I think you probably would have seen in at least in some of the other games that I watched. But um, I think it's it's kind of tantalizing to think about like if he's out there in units and like pretend that Chris Duarte and Tyrese Halliburton are out there, or Tyrese and buddy are out there, how wide some of the gaps he would have to manipulate would be because there's not going to be defenders sagging over into those lanes. But at the same time, the sample size is just so small. Like it's Mm -hmm. easy to lash onto that, but like, I just did a comparison between he and Chris Duarte at Oregon. And I know their roles were different, but even just on a frequency standpoint, like Duarte as a sophomore had 121 possessions in isolation or as the pick and roll ball handler, which, and again, Griffin was being eased back into action, wasn't being a full-time starter, but he had 36 for the entire season. Like there's just not a lot to look at and really evaluate there.
0: And That's, that's like not a Duke thing. That's like basically the two most common, uh, I would say like lines of thought with AJ Griffin are like, what do I do with this sample? And like, uh the sort of aesthetics of it like those are the two points where people are like he has the least mixtape friendly game possible like and i find i find doing this like sort of after Jaden ivy really interesting because like Jaden ivy is in a lot of ways the opposite where like things look really good for jay Jade. everything Jaden ivy does looks like a like a fantastic basketball player and sometimes you dive into the numbers like oh he's bad at that it looked great i loved every second of it but he's deeply not good at this one particular area AJ is sort of the opposite where you're like, okay, I really like, you know, there's a number of uh like one dribble pull-ups that like look okay, like relative to his normal jumper, but I don't like them as a one dribble pull-up really. And then I look at the numbers and I'm like, oh, this is like a 90-second percentile uh pull-up jumper. Okay. So like at a certain point, it's just sort of like my feelings don't particularly matter. Um, and I think that that's like that. What do I do with this sample is kind of the overall point here is that like there's no this isn't a red, there is not a hidden reservoir of sample where, you know, this is that, oh, well, actually he, you know, just a year ago took 400 yards off the dribble or whatever. This is always what it's been. It's always been, you get the flashes, either you're a hundred percent in on this s- sample of games, this sample of jumpers, or you're not. And so he's going to be a, uh, a player that's really difficult to evaluate from just NBA teams, because there's not really a consistent, like a, uh, uh, There's not a consistent, contiguous point of basketball. You just get these small little little blocks and you take them or leave them.
2: Yeah. Well, Mark, should we move into the more negative part of this podcast?
0: Yeah, I mean, Um, I think that was
1: already like a good transition there because it's not even like, I mean, it's more just like trying to parse through the difficulties. Like one of the things that I've really struggled with um, is I think, and not, this is not meant as like a slight to AJ, but I do think there's been a like a little bit too much of like, well, if he just gets his athleticism back, I'm like, that's asking a lot, man. Like the burst clearly is not a thing that's there right now. And I, I, I don't mean that in, again, I don't mean that as a way as a slight to him, but it's like, okay, you, you just can't be like, well, if, if this guy just has these injuries completely reversed and that's not a thing, like,
0: I don't, don't know. Define what back is me, mean, back means though. Cause like, I mean, as a person who like what has seen AJ Griffin for five years now, like define back.
2: That's what I was like, going to ask oh yeah. you. Like, was this a part of his game before?
0: Like, I mean, he did more cool dumps and he like hunted more in like he hunt, like his thing was that like, like he played Trevor keels in high school and like Trevor keels would be going up for layups and like AJ Griffin would come from the weak side and just punch it. And like to me, the, like the broad term athleticism is the exact same as it's always been. The vertical pop is like a little bit less, Like he's just not doing the like flying in out of nowhere and like trying to do Zion impressions in terms of like uh, glass cleaning. But like, that's not the concern that people have. Like the nine dribble sidestep, like the, the not really getting insane, uh, like the, the level of of separation that you would think was always there. Like that was all, that's always been present. So when people say, "Oh, yeah, once he gets athletic again," like I, I just really, uh, I don't understand what people mean by that because, like, oftentimes athleticism for, for people means that specific set of things that looks cool on like tapes. But like speaking broadly about the movement skills, about the separation, about the way that he, um, you know, uh, makes uh, the way that like energy transfers from from his lower body to like the middle of his body, which is sort of the issue right now. Uh, Never really was like a feature of his game. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. Like I'm again, like I haven't been able to go back and watch, but like I think like that's just a good point to bring up. Like it's hard to like, yes, he's really young too, but it's just like that's there's a lot of mental math going on there, and it's you know, it's just kind of tough. But do
2: you know how many dunks he had with Duke this year?
1: He had eight. I have it pulled up on Bark Torwick right now.
2: All okay, because right. instat has him 10 of 14, and I watched him and I would classify maybe one of those as him actually attacking into a defense and getting to a dunk. The rest, when I went through and just by hand, it was all cuts, couple putbacks, couple in transition where he's way out ahead, and then one was a closeout. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean that wasn't you know a ready part of his game this year. At least in the minutes I saw. But again, that's why I think having seen him in high school would have been valuable just to be able to compare and have that knowledge that PD just brought up. That if some of that wasn't a part of his game before, then you probably really shouldn't be expecting it to be part of his game again, even if he is, you know, knee and ankle fully healthy. Yeah. The
0: thing that, like, the thing that I'm, I guess, my version of this uh, concern is like, if he never really tries to like punch it on people again. Like, I don't think that that's the worse player. Like, yeah. I, the thing that's really staggering is like he has like some of the worst pathing to the rim that I can really remember of a prospect. Like, I think that there's not a, there is a case that Frank Kaminsky was better at getting like taking fewer steps to the cup and like that Frank Kaminsky had less like uh, rounded drives and AJ Griffin was still a very good finisher. Like yes, the floor was spaced. Yes, there was a or space well enough. Or like there was a a level of, of concern for for passing to others. But you still an 88th percentile in college. It's a low number, but like there is still a like even for the idea of a guy who cannot cleanly get to spots. A guy who is not a I would say like good passer um, out of out of uh, tilted creation. You know he's not a closeout creator for others. Really, um, is not really reading the floor, so it doesn't have that. It doesn't have a great handle. Um, closing out, like this is a this is the product of a player who should just be like bad finishing. We're, we just talked about the explosiveness where it should be. He's not like a free throw tank in the way you sort of think of looking at his frame. Like it's not Isaac Cora, mm-hmm. um, another player who did not fit in his uh, uh, team picture um, when they took the individuals. They both just have like shoulders that are here. Um, CGI shoulders is, is sort of the best explanation I've come for it. Um, but he fits the 80th he almost 1.4 points for possession, finishing around the rim so like if this is what the most limited version of it looks like at a certain point there is there are slight improvements can he get to spots slightly easier can the drives be a little bit less rounded can the pickups have a little bit more uh finesse with them like there are there is low hanging fruit but to just label it as oh if he gets more vertical pop he's good it's like the vertical. The problem with, with the the dunks is that he couldn't get to spots cleanly enough to even try to duck because it's like he had to take these really circuitous routes to the rim. and I think that that did a disservice to his health. Where if he were able to drive in a straighter line, we could have seen him try to like put it on somebody's head. But instead, couldn't get there in time So the defense was already rotated, and because he has, I would say, some clear concern about landings, especially in traffic. He didn't even try to do them, so he would still finish, but he wasn't going over the top because the defender was already rotated. Defenders half-step slower he's probably going to try to punch it on there, and we get to see some of that vertical pop so i think there's a bit of chicken or the egg where like the movement skills debilitate our read of his actual uh vertical pop but like to say that the vertical pop solves all the problems is uh i would say a a, a misconstruing of like what the larger issue is
2: i'm glad that you brought up the closeouts because I think that's the thing that kind of stands out the most is like his ability to get the most out of his own gravity. Um When he does draw, like there's times where he'll use a pump fake and like, it'll be really fluid and he'll be able to go directly into a, you know, lefty spin move and make a pass out of that. But he's not getting all the way to the basket out of a closeout. I think like 48% of his attempts were spot ups and only 16 of those shots were at the basket. So it seems like he's a lot more reliant, at least just on the games that I've seen, which is clearly nowhere near to the volume that you have watched. On like these ambling, sauntering, like he's he's really going to have to master, I would say like the pump fake pivot type of stuff. And he kind of has that turnaround to his right, but kind of kind of how Jimmy Butler operates. I mean, that's kind of the best comparison off the top of my head that I can get. To. Yeah,
0: I mean, the, I would say The three sort of uh, points of reference I would bring up for guys who like should finish at the rim, like every single time when they get closeouts, but don't always do so, um, are also guys who kind of have the same frame. um, And that would be like Jimmy, obviously, Kawhi, and TJ Warren. Like those are the three guys where it's like elements of this have to be translated because like uh, I've seen TJ Warren shoot in college. Um, I I wrote about it. Like I'm Deeply wounded by the, the mechanics he used to have, um, but TJ Warren like found ways, and like a lot of the time watching TJ Warren, it's like how is this going to work? Dog? And he f- has figured out some like really specific ways that work for him that sort of play against type. Kawhi, as the jumper was was being smoothed out, had to find you know these little moments playing against type. Jimmy still uh, apparently only makes jumpers in the postseason, but in, during the regular season, has to find a little moments and. All three of them have an anti-aesthetic quality to their game. And you could say that it probably made people lower on them. And I, I think this is a chance for people to either overcome that bias or, or challenge it. But you're right, like ambling, shambling. Uh, there's like a fullback dive quality to it, the way that he attacked closeouts. That's like very Mike Allstott. Um, and it's, 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 it's more effective than it should be. But there's so much, like, it's so clear that something has to, there has to be a pathway for this to be replicable and not just 16% of his shots, whether it's an eight-foot floater, whether it's, you know, a, a pivot into a, uh, a baseline fadeaway. Like, there has to be something that can just eat up usage um, as teams, like, really close out on him. It's great that he can, you know, take these, like, uh, pound dribble sidestep step threes um, on hard closeouts, but what happens when the second defender flies out on that? when you run him off the line, where does the usage come from? And I think that's like a really real question. And some of that is going to have to be answered with athleticism. Some of it's going to be answered with skill and some of it's just going to have to be answered with like him taking the shots.
2: Yeah. Cause at times, like, I feel like his last step is okay. Like you'll see him get his body into somebody, especially if he's getting a closeout from the baseline and he uses his last step well, or yeah, I mean, it's just that the rest of the time, it's exactly what you just described. It's, it's tough to completely understand the pathway that he's taking and why exactly in the instance that he's taking it. And sometimes I do wonder, and maybe this is a, a wild idea, because I brought up the stance before, and it's like, you know, there's times when you watch him in the corner, and it practically looks like he's sitting on a horse because he's that wide. So is that shortening the length, his stride length on his first step and making it harder when he gets to the basket? Is that is that a real thing?
0: I think that the shortening of the stride length is something that, like, is is I think a, a, a thing that gave him trouble because like there were times where his strides were really short in high school and that this is like a cognizant, like let me lengthen out everything. Um, but there's also plays I've seen where like he catches it in the corner and on a drive to the rim, one of his feet touches the free throw line. Like it it's not like at that point, we're talking about like just a physical inability to run in a straight line with the basketball. Yep. And so like, I think that a lot of the lower body issues is things that are just going to like need a massive amount of P3, a massive amount of sports science. And and like, there's clearly been an attempt to, uh, to like, to make him injury prone is the wrong word, but to minimize the amount of strain on his lower body. And I think that some of that labor has also made him Uh, a roblox quality turner like zion closes out like a boat and like this is almost worse yeah zion is hands down the worst closeout guy i've I've ever seen for an nba player like i would rather have uh marcelo puertas closing out but like aj with the ball is like in that same tier and still was extremely effective in an extremely difficult conference uh that does not lack for like room protectors so that's the dissonance we're dealing with it's really fascinating
1: yeah, that can, that can flow into my stock down because this is kind of hitting on some of it. And it's like, it's again, it's less about, I, I can sometimes be overly positive, but it's less about like stock down. It's more like, this is why he's not like a number one or number two guy in, in class. Like, uh, so it's against tech. And I thought the reason I threw in tech, I thought they were one of the best teams that really showcase like, okay, if we run you off the line, what the fuck happens? Um, And he which they're great for that with everything i'll always pd our biggest is always going to be how awesome no middle is um i think it's well, i think it's a great evaluative
0: tool i just have some disagreements with like how it how it helps the defenders and i'm writing a large piece about how no middle is a uh, uh not the evaluation tool you think it is
1: oh this is uh it's unfortunate to hear i'm excited to read it but uh you know it's going to live in my dreams forever um but yeah so aj is in the left corner uh he attacks a closeout um gets downhill takes his jump like from just outside the paint um and bryson williams comes in and it's less about like i think it's going to be more of a screenshot that i use instead of the full clip but uh tries to jam it on bryson williams bryson williams has popped like that so it was not the smartest play but um you can see uh wendell moore and Palo both wide open. And part of it is Texas Tech scheme, of course, with the way that they crunched down and everything and just consecutive closeouts. But like it's the kind of thing where I look at him like I understand what AJ was trying to do here, but also like that's a pass that he's I would love to see him be able to make in time. Um, and I think that especially the Texas Tech game, you saw multiple times where he was getting into the paint and he's getting walled off at the rim and you know going back to his fadeaway and um, like, he, he hit a couple in this game, but also, like, you see, all right, when the Moore's cutting right to the rim in, in the dunker spot, and he's wide open, or there's somebody in the slot with a pretty easy kickout pass. Um, that's the kind of stuff where, again, where, like, I do think it makes me, like, lower is the wrong way to put it, but, like, not quite as high as I think you could potentially be.
0: I think the Texas Tech game is actually a perfect – Uh, way to explain the uh, offensive downside. I mean, I think the defensive downside doesn't require like the most uh, uh, intense explanation, but like Texas Tech requires uh, to, to beat Texas Tech and to beat no middle specifically, you either have to be a really, really good conceptual thinker of what the defense is trying to give you, or you have to beat them extremely simply. So, like, I watched the Trey Young Texas Tech game. This is before Texas Tech, like, really had it figured out. So, like, they're missing rotations. So they just don't these days. And, like, Trey was thinking faster. So, he could he would have the ball out before the tagger was aware they had to tag the tag. Like, the help, the help was not, had not recognized the rotation in the law yet. And the other way is, is that, like, he would understand where the help was coming from. So, he could just find the scenes and recognize this was three people's responsibility. And they couldn't communicate it fast enough if you can't do either one of those things like Texas tech makes and no middle probably it makes you look really bad because you have to be thinking on your feet as you're sort of going into uh, uh, the teeth of the defense as they're all flying around. And like, that's not what AJ's good at. So there's a lot of times where you can see him in what like the situation that, that no middle wants him to be in. And he has to find these like counters on the fly. And that's not really where his game is, is catered towards. And so you can see the screenshots are very unkind to him because like, the two things that they're trying—they're trying to take away that they—they're believing that a college kid cannot make that one-hand diagonal skip pass going from the baseline on target without somebody getting there from from the scram rotation to the weak side. And like for like, that is the right gamble. That is a very difficult technical play for multiple players on on one college team to be able to make in the moment. Um, and AJ is not currently there, um, and like. I think that that game, if you were to to boil down the issues you could have with this offensive game, watching what happens after he triggers no middle into what they want is the best way to explain it. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com.
2: I mean, it, it's kind of interesting, too, because of what sets they leaned on, kind of a reflective of that to a degree, because in both of those two games, they come out at halftime because of the way these two teams defend. And like I mentioned about the Miami game, you come out after halftime. And I think I counted on a raw count that they ran Horn's corner double 20 times in the second half because they were trying to disrupt the traps and where they were going to trap. And he's in the corner the whole time. Like he's not even really being the guy that's being used to come off the corner action to come off of those screens, like not even in secondary. Then in the Duke game, they're basically running the same horns elevator set. And he's the person coming up through um, the elevator doors. I don't know how many times, like probably 10 until like I, Texas Tech was really frustrating me is that they were making that look a lot more complicated than what it was. But regardless, like they're spamming the same plays and he's not being used in a different way in any of them like is my point.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's one of the things about uh, no metal is that like, there are actions that it's just like, it's not built to handle. So if you run diagonal stain, like you have to switch that, like switch that coverage read because then you're going to have a scram switcher from the hole, which is like what they call the person in the front of the rim all the way out to the diagonal stain at like the, the slot. And that's like a 30 foot rotation that you have to be able to make after tack down the same way elevators is just. It is not something that it's really built to handle because, like, if you're building a defensive scheme, and you're like, "Well, they're going to have to run an elevator screen 26 times in this game." You're like, "That we've done amazing, folks! Like, we've done a great job." you have to run elevator 30 times to beat us, um, that being said, like AJ's usage is like a real. I, Kaylin, I, this is why I sort of wanted to know how you enjoyed the experience because, like, if I were to explain a six-six guy who can get his shot off whenever, shoots off, ex, you know, pretty insane versatility is as capable you know, countering out of uh, hard closeouts, like with, with off the dribble stuff, as you can kind of see, like, I, to my sort of rough accounting, he's like the best prospect that I can really think about it, you would think that you would run him off just like every action in the world, like you just throw in, run it running like spinelists is everywhere, you're just messing around, you're hitting him out of garfum. like you're, you're throwing the whole kitchen sink, and none of that
2: happens. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, basically, yeah, basically like the only off screen action that they ran was like towards the back end of the season, they were occasionally running him off floppy, like occasionally or sometimes they were running an action where he might see a, a, a wide pin down weak side more so as a means for them to get into high low action than it was really in an attempt mm. to be using him. And now I do think that the fluidity could have been better. And maybe that was part of it on occasion, because there were some times where he would come off those screens where it's like, okay, you probably don't need to take a dribble there. Like you kind of want to see him be able to um, kick out. Like, I'm not going to compare him to Doug McDermott, but be able to come off the screen and fluidly go into that motion and shoot. And he's, he's, using a dribble to get to his pickup in spots where you don't really need him to. So then I was kind of like, well, maybe that's why they're not doing it. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's not like, if you watch as much film as you can, there's not a lot of sets that are designed like, Oh, that's an AJ Griffin play.
0: Yeah. And this is where the priors actually um, do offer some level of explanation. Um, So like AJ always was a ball and hand player always. So like his processing of tilted defense coming as an offensive secondary um, isn't really an area he has expertise in, which is why you, I think you see him take so many of these troubles with advantage. Is that like he's just not used to it being so easy? Like, oh, I could just rise and fire. I did not have to put any effort into this possession, next possession. Like, that is not something that I think he's comfortable with, not in the sense of like I can live with it, but just like it's new to him. Um, and I think that that partially explains the other half is like, uh, I'm glad Patrick Baldwin did not go to Duke uh, for like, because they had a hard enough time finding sets that worked all of these like this pretty funky fit together and adding patrick baldwin would have made this like really worse from that perspective but like aj is a hard player to run stuff for in the sense of if you just hand, if i handed you his synergy if i if we handed each one of us his synergy profile and his description we would have 10 plays where you're just like oh man this is going to be a lot of fun and then if you just check those plays against what two grand you'd be like yeah zero out of ten guys like, like, they just don't run it because, like, his skill set is very unique to his profile uh, in terms of, like, a statistical look. Because, like, again, 95th percentile off the dribble, or, yeah, 95th percentile off the dribble, 96th percentile catch and shoot. Like, imagine what that could have looked like. And so it was He got a lot in transition. He got a yeah, lot but- of standing
2: in the corner. And it's even funny too, because like there's times where he comes off, like I forget which game of these three it was, he comes off the, the widescreen. It's like, Hey, you don't need to take a dribble there and reposition yourself, but he does reposition himself and then he's shooting off his toes. And it's like, you shot that entire thing off of your toes and your touch is ridiculous. Your balance is ridiculous. And it's like, you're saying, it's like, okay, well maybe it doesn't matter that he took that dribble. (laughs) Yeah,
0: The experience is, is very, uh, counter to expectations and counter to, to form in a lot of ways.
2: Was that your stock down, Mark? That
1: was my stock down. Okay. Um,
2: so then I guess we'll just wait in. Cause I mean, some of this went into mine. I kind of, I cheated a bit and just called this in general risk and we can kind of get into where the Pacers would be coming from this perspective, but I did want to touch on the defense as a whole. Mm-hmm. So from the Texas tech game, Um, I have a play where he's he's the on ball defender navigating the screen and gets badly snagged to the point where he's he's forcing them to have to switch like a lot of times that's what the end result of him being in on ball pick and roll situations is Then he does not remotely run the seam and at the same time Texas Tech's running like roll replace so then that taggers getting moved out of there so Bancaro is not going to be available to help. And then it's just an easy shot for the role, man. And that's just one of many examples of how often he was getting snagged in on ball actions, or at least I felt that he was. And then it goes down to like, I'll admit, like I have not seen every game that Duke played this year. I did not watch every game in the past week's time, but just from these three games, the amount of um, curious decisions he makes on that end of the floor, in addition to some of the screen navigation stuff, like, he very easily loses his guy. And in addition to that, like just one that I would describe, like he's supposed to be digging down from the post in the Texas tech game. And he's butt to corner digging and not open to read the blitz. They pass it back out of the post and he has time to open up in the opposite direction so that he's not blind to a relocation. And he does the exact same thing again. And then just like his overall heaviness, sometimes when he's out um and I wouldn't even necessarily call it isolation situations but where you know it kind of looks like he has his feet in cinder blocks so um I've tried to avoid reading a lot of draft takes on him but I have seen a lot of 3 and D stuff there and I'm I'm not sure if I'm there but I don't know where you're thinking on that is Mark
1: yeah it's funny because uh this was my other stock down uh literally if you just watch the Miami game they ran him through as many screens as possible that entire game and like you mentioned like they eventually just went to switching mark williams because they were like you're you're getting killed so um it ended up working okay but yeah it was like very apparent in that game miami's like okay we like off rip they're like we're just going to run you through screens um i will say like i do think to me i'm the the heaviness i totally agree with like it's kind of odd how amazing his footwork is offensively to how poor it is defensively. Like, I think he crosses his feet up a lot. Like he does a lot of things where I'm like, I don't, I don't love what you're doing with your slides. And I think that makes me a little bit more optimistic, like the off ball we can definitely talk about too. But um, I do think that the on ball can get better if that's just something that's, that's repped out a little bit um, or repped out is the wrong way to put it. But like, it's it certainly, it, it, it's hard for it to get worse. Yes, exactly. Like but that, um, is, that is the,
0: the nice way of saying, like, it's, it's rough.
1: Yeah, 100%. So I guess I'll, I'll switch over to UP. I mean, where, yeah, defensively. Um, I mean,
0: it. like defensively, it looks like a guy who has lost, who is processing from a lagging position because he has not played enough, you know, like high leverage basketball um, over the last couple of years and also used to be able to get away with whatever from an athletic standpoint. Um, it's very similar to Zion in that like Zion just like makes mistakes and just like, yeah, well, I'll go like high point in the rim, And like that worked at Duke and it doesn't work in the league. Um, And so I like, I view a lot of his mistakes as like still existing in the space where he thinks that, or not, he thinks like the mentality of viewing things is like, I can, I can get this back uh, has not fully sunk in. So, like, there's a lot of exploration that I would say is like a bad uh, for him. He's just like sort of, you know, sticking his nose into places where he probably doesn't belong because he just he cannot recover that quickly. Um, I would say, like, um, a lot of the movement skill stuff that are present on offense is like more damaging on defense. Like, mm-hmm. the inability to go in a straight line, the inability, like, that, that we talked about on closeouts. Like, on, on offense, he has the frame and, and skill level and just like sense of timing to still be an elite finisher and on defense, there's just not that, that level of craft is not present. Um, so like he is best on, on straight fours. He is best in schemes where like he is like mandated to do things like he would have been fantastic in a no middle scheme because it just been like hey, this is where you need to be. Here's the direction you're pushing. Here you go. The more reads that he's given, he just bogs him down. And then he like, there's a chance for him to be exposed to, you know, uh, to areas where he has to, you know, use athleticism to, to recover or have a, a movement skill turn and go. And he's just not there right now. Um, it is it is a situation where have him having him guard wings, I think, is like inadvisable as a rookie. Um, both from like a weight perspective and like he's best uh connected to others and not like out on the island.
2: Yeah. So like if you had to pinpoint either one of you, like that's something he does well on defense what would you say could you say anything
0: um I think that he has a good understanding of like where the passes are going to go occasionally like like he puts his hand in like like you can see that he is processing angles he might be unprocessing like the defender behind him but he's thinking of like okay so if you're gonna kick it out it's going to go here like I think that he is minded towards like havoc which like to me is a good sign. And there are guys who are like, just like, just get in this possession. Like we can outscore them. Uh, Doug McDermott, I think was uh, the guy who I like really hated how he angled his hands on defenses as, uh, as a college player. I think AJ has some of that. Um, you can hear the hedging that I'm doing currently um, because I don't want to say nothing. But like, I think that if you are trying to project what he will be good at, that's the thing you can point towards and be like, okay, so this plus strength plus the movement skills improving is like a four who can uh, like funnel and deflect.
2: Yeah. I was going to say, if I had to say one thing, it might be occasionally I think he holds up and, and can be a brick wall in the post. And that's not even perfect, but then it makes me question like, is he actually going to track better as a small ball four?
0: I think we may have to be talking about like that. Full time four early. Uh, might have a fun career, career trajectory where he comes into the league as a four and then later becomes a three and then goes back to a four as he gets older, yeah. uh, which is just something you do not see very often. Um, like James Johnson is sort of the last one of those I kind of remember, um, but even he like wasn't a three for very long and that was more because of situation. Um, but yeah, that's a it's it's a concern. Mark, uh, say something nice about AJ Griffin on defense.
1: Uh he makes some solid tags as the low man sometimes um like Does not, he? Not, not all the time there there are a couple in, moments in, in what like, in what coverage uh yes yeah um uh, <laughs> no like I mean there was a play I want to say it was in the Miami game where he had like a nice weak side block um where that's not something that I think is gonna happen super often but like it was nice see, to see that's him
0: but that was the book before the book before was like he will like if you even if, if it's not his responsibility he will abandon like he will leave strong side corner he will just magically appear in like the way that zion did like the game they played in paul the seven i played paul the six like trevor keels was like kind of afraid to dig layups because adrian just kept like appearing out of nowhere uh like nightcrawler just like put his shit on the backboard and like that was just not present i think that's much more about you know where where his lower body is not like from an injury perspective just from like trying to to pat it um to to get him to the league but like man uh he does not play as instinctually i'm like seeing somebody with you know their athleticism sort of produced reveals how instinctually they're playing like there are times where like you can see brandon clark hurt and like the pop is not there but he's still like making the right rotations and still like you can see that he's still like mentally mapping the game and level It's just he can't get to the ball anymore um and like that's not really present what they do yeah um
1: yeah well i guess I, I was i was trying to hedge as well like that it, 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 they just stand out because most of the time he's not making the right rotation so it's like oh wow he actually did it this time again um, this is a dude who
0: did not like the last time that he played real competitive basketball is like 20 months ago like, yeah like that is that cannot be emphasized enough to like dude just did not play for so long, like was just doing workouts. And so this isn't like, hey, you know, he's like, there are dudes who've been playing this entire time, there are current college seniors who are very, very, very bad defenders who will probably get drafted. But like any expectation on A.J. has to be similar to like James Wiseman um, when he was drafted. Um, the idea was like, you have to give him enough basketball that he catches up to the missed reps. Like A.J. just needs to be put in every defensive situation as much as possible, and just be like, play this out. Like, just become more comfortable in these situations, so that you're not thinking like, we need you to experiment. We need you to have a June, a you know, a AAU season, your senior year of high school. Uh, you know, the pickup reps in between uh high school and college, in your rookie, and also your MBA rookie year. And you just need to compress all of those reps into about a year. So, like, the first year, I think like he shouldn't really play that much NBA basketball, regardless of where he gets picked. Play as much basketball as humanly possible. Do two for ones, like do whatever he is allowed to do in terms of like what the doctors recommend or you know how the team birds like. He just needs he needs so his yes, there's so much missed time here, and it's so evident on defense in a way that it's not. Um,
2: that's where I would be as well. So then that we can tie this into the Pacers now. And Mark, Beautiful. yeah, I mean. When You look at him, I don't. This is why I titled the section risk because I just feel like, for where the Pacers are at, knowing that they have not had a pick inside of the top 10 for 33 years not since 1989, how much do you think they're going to be willing to roll the dice, just generally speaking, as they go into this process?
1: Ha, huh, yeah. Um, I just that's what's so wild about this draft because, like, I just think about it very often if that move says hi. If they do not get a top four pick, then I, I it's just kind of all bets are off for me and what they do. Like it feels like, like we th- and again, I, just to reiterate, not that I think that they they don't have to listen how I want to do things or how I would do things. I don't think that they have to tank. I do think that there does need to be a real commitment to a different direction that is more future oriented because this team is not going to be prepared to face the Boston Celtics or Milwaukee Bucks in an NBA playoff setting for years. Um, I think that's fair to say unless something pretty drastic happens. Um, I would be very, I mean, especially like with the, I don't like just blanket statement injury concerns, but picking somebody who has like past injury stuff would be very on brand for the Pacers. Um, But my thing would be just in terms of talking about risk, like he's somebody who would be very interesting to me if this team is actually committed to being a more competitive team in the next couple of years. And they are focused on saying losing this next year is the wrong way to put it, but like just being developmental and focusing on that. And that doesn't mean you have to lose again. Like, but just playing the players and giving meaningful court time to the guys who you want to be the 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 front of that that next group is is where I'm at. So that's my really long way of saying yes. If if that's what they're committed to, then I would love to see them pick AJ Griffin. But I also know, like, if they are not on board with doing that, then I would be a little bit confused by them picking him because I think like PD mentioned, like, this is not somebody who's like, just instantly a winning player for you. Like it's going to take time and he needs as many developmental reps as possible. Um, So I don't know.
2: Even then, though, like and I see what you're saying, and I think we've both made that point in the past that like neither of us is opposed to a a longer view um, here. But like just knowing what they just went through last season, that they basically had to dismantle that current core for, I would say, the number one reason being they were never healthy at the same time. Like we can we can debate that it was going to have a limited ceiling, whether they were probably healthy or not. But I think that a big part of it was they were never healthy at the same time. And I think that their other issue that we've talked about numerous, numerous times is the defensive end of the floor. So if you're not incredibly sold on him developing into being a wing stopper, and getting like like I said before, like it, it was probably a little bit petty of me to bring up the digging the post play, but like I can't even comprehend why that happened. Like I have no idea why somebody would do that—not once, but twice on the same possession. So unless you're going into this feeling like very strongly that there's a chance that that will happen or that it it will happen, I feel like there might be too much imagination required, at least for the pacer's sake. This isn't me saying that any other team in this situation that there wouldn't be upside here or that the things that he does aren't, you know, tantalizing and impressive. I just think from the Pacers perspective, I don't know if they're going to be willing to take on that amount of risk, but I'd like to hear PD's outside opinion as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, this all really comes down to, what do you think Rick Carlisle signed up for? Because like for me looking at like the Pacers from the outside, I would say that AJ Griffin like the archetype and like the ceiling is the best fit of any player in the draft for like what i think the pacers are and like that's mostly because like i think that if you do the like rough year and a half two years of like you know getting aj caught up and and working on the lower body like this is the seamless fit and that like in theory you can build an extraordinarily modern offense that does a lot of the things that the peak Carlisle, um, like pick your poison uh, X's nose did, but like actually shooting threes at a huge volume and making people guard you all out the floor, not starting an offense at 16 feet with like a Dirk weird post up at the NBA finals logo. Um, so like, if you think Rick Carlisle signed up to immediately win basketball games, like this is the pick you kind of got to run away from. If you think that like, if you want five shooters on the floor and want to space and want to give, want to maximize the things like Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy and like in theory, Miles Turner are extremely good at. Like you kind of have to take somebody whose profile looks similar to AJ Griffin, but also Rick Carlisle doesn't seem thrilled about losing basketball games, to put it mildly, Um, especially uh, since uh, the team that he left seems to be winning basketball games, um, something that I'm sure he's deeply thrilled about. but like this to me is the seamless fit if you're willing to get by and if you're willing to mold a multi-year plan of developing the players, not just like that you're drafting, but also on a roster, like will Miles Turner will like, will this team be the thing that it kind of hinted towards? Like I would draft AJ Griffin. I would feel very good about it. I would take the losses also if you want to lose basketball games. Um, next year is the year to lose basketball games um uh i i cannot fathom a year like this is the 2003 draft again that's the level that we're talking about and like imagine like the, i'm not saying that Wemby is brawn but i'm saying that like the level of like if you get in the top five it's going to be very hard to miss like so if you're going to need a an amount of cultural cover this is the cultural cover that will be provided so like we're talking about a kid who we just said, like the movement skills are rough. We just missed two years of basketball that struggles to defend and was still a 99th percentile offensive player uh, as a very young kid, not playing for two years in the ACC, in all of college basketball, 98th percentile offensive player for all possessions he's, you know not as good in, in, uh, in transition, uh, 90th, 97th percentile on jumpers, 96th percentile uh, on all threes. Uh, I think that he's a 44% shooter on every attempt that we have for Cerebro, uh, which like once you see his college, his high school shot selection, like you're going to be like, oh, okay, that's, that seems difficult that he was a better shooter in high school than he was now, or than he was in college, but like, yes, that's what we're talking about. So to me, this is like the actual upside bet that makes a more institutional sense than like getting on, like, what's the level below treadmill of mediocrity? Like what, like, so there's like the treadmill of mediocrity. And then there's like, I'm really sorry, King's fans, like the seventh pick thing, like where you're always bad, but like you're that band of bad that doesn't get you like superstar bets. Like what, what is the NBA term of art for that?
1: Oh, the hamster wheel of half-ass something like that. Yeah. The hamster
0: wheel of half-ass. That is to me, like if you pick a guy who uh, like after the top four, there's a lot of like interesting bets, but I think if you actually want to go full in on the concept of this team, AJ is, the choice and also like recognizing the larger cultural factors that are going to be like the class of 23, like encouraging guys to really explore their games and also like leaning on the institutional strengths that like Carlisle has had before and seeing if he is like willing to go all the way in on, on just like maximizing players, maximizing like prospects in the future.
2: Yeah. I mean, he has said, I mean, two quotes that I think stand out from just his perspective is he said he wasn't afraid of a rebuild when he had his like little seven minute speech, shooting down rumors about moving into the front office. He said, I'm not afraid of a rebuild, not one bit. Then I think in the exit interviews, if you look at the Indy star, he had a quote somewhere along the lines of like, we can't do this again. This, this can't be what we just did. So that feels a little bit, I don't want to say contradictory, but you know, I think that there's also a piece of this where whether the Pacers, and I don't want to use the word tank, but I'm not seeing a lot of opportunity for upward mobility, even if they are a better team than the product they just put out. It's like Mark said, I don't know that they're necessarily going to be competitive with these other teams. For me, I, everything you said about the offense. Yeah. I I can envision already just from what I know of Rick Carlisle's current playbook, which he did rework elements of it after the trade deadline and continued to add and tweak things that there's lots of ways they'd be able to use him. And the, the amount of, like I said before, the amount of gaps he would be able to manipulate or that Tyrese would be able to manipulate when you're running lineups out there where you could potentially have him and Chris and Tyrese and Miles, like, I get it. I just don't... I, it's a lot. The, I'm,
0: not, I'm not saying it's not a lot. I'm just I saying... I think that you'd have
2: to be really certain in those medicals when you're the Pacers coming off the degree of, of injuries that they've been dealing with for God knows how long now, in addition to... They have to fix the defensive end of the of the floor problems, oh. even if it's not in the short term. And I'm I don't know that I'm convinced in the long term that that's going to be there. But again, so, I've barely seen any games of him. So
0: I mean, just I feel like it's not hard to fall in love with the idea of Buddy Hill might be the third best shooter on the floor. That's like a concept. Yeah, but like that's hypothetical. What about
1: what Buddy could. Hill might be the third best def- defender on the floor? It's a concept,
0: though. <laughs> Uh, the duality of man. Um, you know, uh, I specifically remember uh, JJ Berea being a, a, a lead figure of a Rick Carlisle title team. Um, so you don't, don't tell me that, you know, the man hasn't worked wonders before. Um, that being said, like, I just, I think that like, for me, a lot of the, a lot of the struggle that I have with like the last five years of the Pacers is, is like, a little bit of a lack of imagination yeah in terms of like the idea that like welcome just like structurally the idea of like betting on the personnel you have like betting on them truly which isn't like okay we're gonna you know make the playoffs it's like well if we are willing to believe that Tyrese Albert is this kind of dude we should give him space we should give as much space as possible like he's that guy it doesn't matter how we get there but like let's get there And that's going to require some risk taking. And for me, the imagination isn't like, oh, you know, we're we're, we're trying to win games. It's that, like, you sort of take the 80th percentile of the players that you have rather than being like, I'm going to gamble on the idea of 95th percentile Tyrese Albert. And for me, it doesn't like picking AJ is that bet. It's not about him. It's about the idea of like, I believe that Tyrese Albert is one of like the five most talented players in the league. That is the bet that you have. And, And for me, it's saying like yeah i believe and like that's the issue with with you know miles and uh demata it's not that i'm going to relitigate this but it's the idea of like you don't really have a stance on what's happening here and that's the yeah. failure of imagination it's like hey you know this is pretty good we don't need to risk anything because it could go poorly it's like okay well like have it taken it, do it which for me was like why carlisle coming in was awesome because like right carlisle uh is has some strong he, he doesn't do half uh he doesn't do half ass opinions um so for me like when I hear him say we couldn't do this again, that's not having a direction. That's not going all in on, like, whether that is, hey, how good are we going to be? Or, like, let's see how it plays out. It's just like they're not going to be waffling. And I would just like to see a strong, like, put some chips down um, on the players that you have on the world you see with them succeeding. And to do that, like, this draft is one where, like, the best player might get drafted at 22. The best player might get drafted at one, and people might suffer from one until. 14, like this is not a draft where like house money is going to return you anything. That's class of 2023. So if you're going to do that, if you're in a situation where you are half in, like, why not bet on what you have bet on, you know, but you've already decided that Tyree Albert is worth trading for. Why not go all the way in and say, I'm going to, you know, and, and do whatever it can to try to get those highest outcomes. Because like, that's the only way that this, like this team wins a playoff series is that if that dude walks through the door, you have to, you know, manipulate the circumstances to get there a little bit. And I think the best chance to do that isn't with like an Ivy or a Chet, like we are all great players. It is to say like, yeah, I can, I think Rick Carlisle can get something out of this. And I think that we can, we're willing to have a longer view, which this team has struggled with.
2: And I think you bring up a good question there. I mean, a good point there bringing up, you know, Ivy Griffin, I think, I mean, I brought this up to Mark on the last podcast, but I, I think in your head, you can talk yourself into that, Tyrese and AJ both have the potential to optimize each other whereas when you look at Ivy I think that Tyrese could could optimize Jaden I'm not necessarily convinced that Jaden could optimize him so if you are going all in and Tyrese is going to be your guy that's a decision you have to make I'm not sure that they would necessarily have enough information on that like I think that they have time where they can evaluate if that's going to be the case I think some of the stuff with usage with him is very real and you need to you know, it's like I said, on our player review pod, there was 39 players who had over five minutes of time of possession. And the only player who had a lower usage rate was Kyle Lowry. And Tyrese was playing with the Pacers on a team. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but on a roster with a lot of guys who are from the G league and he wasn't asserting himself to that degree. Now that might come like that. It very well could be, it's only his second year, but I don't know that you know that for sure. And in some of the purgatorial stuff, like I agree with you. I don't, I, They did kick the can down the road for a while, but I would like to know from the inner workings of them, did they truly believe in what they had? Did they really think that that core had a higher ceiling and they just were letting, waiting to see it? Or was it more a case of, okay, we've traded coaches a few times. We're going to go ahead and bring back that core because we want to evaluate how it looks with Rick Carlisle, what works with Rick Carlisle. And we're more so just biding our time for when, the perfect trade opportunity arises. Cause I kind of think that's what it was. Cause if you just listen to their comments from last summer, they never sound overly enthused about what they had.
0: Which it, is worse, right? Like we can yeah. do that somehow much like it's even the, like, I don't believe in this or I believe in this just to be like, yeah, um, it's cool. Like, Hey, so like, let's just make this work environment, like as weird as possible. We don't really believe in this, but we also don't not, not believe in this. Uh, but also teams. If you want to give us, you know, an all-star for either one of these guys, would love that because we're just pumping the sunshine over here. It's it's a very strange stance, but it's also sort of like it's kind of unserious. Like yeah. it's it's it is a stance that ultimately lends towards like this is cool, it's fine. It could be better, it could be worse, and like that's sort of a, the one thing in the NBA that I like have a strong aversion to. Is like, look, if you're gonna be anything, at least like be it confidently and be it fully.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can evaluate their decisions. I mean, if we look at it a year ago, they picked a path they were going to pick. And I mean, I don't know I shouldn't say the word pick, but, you know, there was rumors that they had tried and did almost everything they could to get Gordon Hayward. It was going to be Gordon Hayward and Sabonis and Brogdon, whatever they were going to build on that track. It didn't pan out. So they kicked the can down the road a while longer. I think that most people looking at it, not just because of Gordon Hayward's injury issues, but would say, hey, yeah, that year was annoying, but waiting the year got them Tyrese Halliburton. Cause I don't think Tyrese would have been available at the time when they were trying to pick a path and get Gordon Hayward.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can, but the fact that like, that wasn't planned, the fact that it wasn't like, it, it's not a consequence in the way that like because they did something, it's like just because time went forward, like it, there, it was not a credit to them that they waited. it was simply the fact that like, a but bet. but is it
2: is it a good thing to pick a trade that isn't necessarily going to push you ahead just to say that you pick something versus holding on to that asset in case something better does come up, which it did?
0: If we take the view that that decision happened a year ago, instead of this being kind of like year three or four, where like we don't because That's we don't fair. have all the offers, like there might have been things we like more or things that lead to better outcomes. And I think that like there is there is a lot of. uh there is a lot of, of like, oh, there is a tendency to view NBA front offices with the information that we have fully, like to be like, oh, well, like we have some of the trades that they have leaked or that somebody has leaked, and then we have the one they made, like the one they made. So like of these five, I like this one best. This is the best possible outcome, but like there's probably sixty viable trades, and like any one of them could have you know got anything else. And, and viewing it through the lens of like things worked out, so the process was cool, which I think is like what front offices really encourage uh when things work out is to try to to make it seem like this was a plan the whole time um because to me though this was sort of rudderless in the entire cell phone for and fell in your lap which is not like to me not credit like it's not a thing i can credit you for it's more that somebody else messed up your plan.
2: yeah i mean i think you can look at it from the king's perspective i just i without knowing everything that was available on the table and again like it is it was frustrating to go through the purgatorial state everybody felt like they needed to make a choice a long time ago but I just think that at least and I see your point but at least from what was reported out there I yeah. I think it was better to continue to exercise some degree of patience so that in case something could fall into your lap you still had that there versus potentially you know taking on somebody who hasn't played in the last two play in tournament games let alone other games but yeah. Mark do you have any other basic thoughts on the Pacers and this uh, pick Yeah
1: I mean it's I just think it's uh it's very telling that PD is coming in from the outside and being like, I wish this team was more inventive. And it's like, yeah, you know, like that's where we've been at. Um,
0: so it's a fun
1: time. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be inventive.
0: Just like, just a hundred, just like I'm not saying that you have to like, you know, run an offense where like, you know, nobody's ever seen it before. Just like, but be, uh, be as committed as possible to the pathway and like just not hedging on it. Like, what are you doing? What is no. the plan here? um I give the process a lot of uh uh disdain for how it was handled on a moment-to-moment basis but like they were in on the thing like they were at least like this is what we're doing and uh it I have an appreciation for that and like I think that you now have the pieces where like, you can go in like you have Albert and you have enough around him. there is a, a a theory so like are you going to go as hard on this as you can but you have the guy that you, I feel like for 10 years i have been like sort of waffling on whether players were or not that. Like, there's no question. How is that dude? What are you going to do about it? Exactly.
1: All right. Yeah, no, I think that's a good place to leave off. Um, PD, is there anything that you want to plug before you get out of here?
0: Uh Yeah, uh, I have two things. One, uh, if you would like to read the AJ Griffin piece at that shooting, it is available on, uh, on uh, my Patreon, which is always free. It's just a place that I use as a, as a blog. And, and if you can donate, that's wonderful. If not, you know, it's always there for you. Um, and two, if you leave a five-star review on this particular podcast um, and send me the screenshot of the five-star review and what's your preference, iTunes, uh, Spotify? Apple, yeah. Apple. Uh, if you leave it in uh, Apple Podcast app uh, and screenshot it to me and leave a question, I will uh, respond with the question, with whatever you want, whether it's prospects, pacers, uh, food takes, um, a <laughs> time that I have down Mark Schindler. Uh, yeah in specific or in, in you know, in abstract, um, whatever you want to do, but you have to screenshot it to me and at me and it, um, just give them as much positive uh, for their wonderful work that they do. And, uh, thank you so much for having me on.
1: Well, we appreciate you as always for having me on. We'll definitely have you a, a, on again sometime. Caitlin, do you have any parting thoughts?
2: No, our pleasure to have him on. I learned a lot today. I'm glad to have had this podcast. And look forward to whatever other prospects we delve into in future episodes.
1: Yes, definitely expect uh, some more moving forward. The lottery is in what, four days, three days? Close. Very close. Uh, I have so much more stuff that I want to write and talk about before the draft gets here, which is just like maddening. Uh, There's a million things that I need to cover basketball wise, but we're going to get there. To everyone listening, thank you for listening. And most importantly, have a rest of your day.